Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Rachel Marshall, co-founder and owner of Rachel's Ginger Beer. After a five-year post-collegiate stint living in the Bavarian Alps, Rachel returned home to Seattle and couldn't find the kind of ginger beer she had fallen in love with abroad. Bold, acidic, fresh, and not overly sweet. So she got to work perfecting her recipe to share with others. In 2011, Rachel and her partner, Adam Peters, founded Rachel's Ginger Beer. Working in a borrowed kitchen space, they created a beverage meant to play nicely with your favorite spirit from vodka to tequila to bourbon, but serve you just as well the morning after. The company's workspace has since turned into a 10,000 square foot production plant in Soto with six different locations and a roster of flavors parlaying 40 combined years of hospitality experience into their true passion. Welcome, Rachel. Good to see you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. As I'm reading this, I'm like, I love seeing the progression. I'm like, you start out and I can't wait to get into it. But before we get into it, we're going to talk rapid fire. Are you ready? Hit me. Okay. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Well, I grew up in, in, a, in a very Christian home. Uh, so my first ambition was to be, for whatever reason, a missionary to Hong Kong. Okay. Like we're talking like second grade. Uh, or like middle school no second grade super young and who knows why hong kong hong kong of all places interesting um is there a ceo or a leader or a, um a person who you most admire oh my gosh so many um probably angela dunleavy oh that's so um, so awesome I had her on the podcast. You have to listen to it. She's, I agree with you. She's such a rock star and such a nice human being. Uh, She's soft in so many ways and strong in so many ways. And I just love the fact that we came up in the same industry, hospitality, and she's parlayed so many years of industry experience into the nonprofit world and running a giant nonprofit organization, especially in the last year of COVID here in Seattle and everything they've done for the community. It's, it's pretty remarkable for her to maintain a family of two little boys. I also have two little boys. So I think that we really bond on that and um, be an absolute leader, industry leader in the nonprofit zone and also hospitality. Yeah, and just, an, just a community leader. She's amazing, I agree. Okay, so if there was a book written about your life, what would it be called? <laughs> uh, let's just wing it. Let's just wing it. Well, you're winging it well. Like I love it. Um, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert to the max. Nice. Um, which city do you most love? Rome. Um, okay, this is such this is such a random question, but I'm actually curious about it. What's your favorite candy? 
oh my gosh, do you know that place, the confectionery in yes. New Village? I was there yesterday and she gave me these little candies from Belgium that are like Zots. Remember Zots? Yes. The 90s that fizz. They they fizzed on the inside. There are these pineapple candies and they blew my mind. So you're going to go back and get more? Oh my gosh. Christy is the bomb. I will go there every day, mostly <laughs> because I have two little boys who want me to go there every little day. Of course. Um, okay. What is the most common word that people use to describe you? Generous. Oh, that's a good one. See, you're generous. You're taking your boys to get candy. <laughs> <laughs> a generous friend giving shout outs to Angela. I can already feel it. So tell me, you started to say you were, um, when you were little, you were raised in a Christian family, but where exactly are you from? I was born in Pullman, Washington. And um, I was born in 1980. And we moved from Pullman to Dallas, Texas in 1995. Got it. And so um, your family was doing what in Pullman? Like, how did you grow up? My parents are educators. Um, they've always worked in private education, specifically Christian education. Um, so they um, founded and grew a school in Pullman. And then work took them um, to Dallas, where they, they founded and grew a really unique model. Um, it was unique at the time, um, kind of a university model of private school hmm. uh, kind of tailored to um, people that worked at embassies and people that traveled and homeschoolers. So if you want to do a couple of courses from home, you can do that. But if you need oh, that's awesome. or in science or the arts or sports, um, then you get to pick and choose. Um, that's how it should be. That's how all schools should be. It was really, it, it's, it's brilliant. And it was brilliant at the time. And, and they made, um, what I was proud of um, was the exit that they made. That's amazing. So um, when you were little, you said you wanted to maybe be a missionary. <laughs> uh, what uh, Were you like into school? Were you a good student? No. No. Were you ambitious to kind of go places? Or were you think like, what relationship did you have with like getting out of your current environment and success? Like, how would you have been described in that way? Um, I really liked to work. Um, I liked money as a kid. Um, so my older brother, Jesse, is 20 months older than me. And then I have two younger siblings um, who are six and eight years younger than me, and they are also 20 months apart. So it's like oh, these wow. two, kids. two little pods. Yeah, yeah. And um, Jesse and I had a paper route together for years and years, a morning paper route, early morning. Um, and it was awful, but we didn't realize that at the time. And um, being able to make money and have money was really big to me. And I don't, I don't remember when this book was published, but um, there's this book called Better Than a Lemonade Stand. And it was in the early 90s. And my dad bought it for me. And it, <laughs> it's this Jewish guy that wrote it. And it was about all these entrepreneurial things you could do as a kid. And one Ooh, of them, I'm going to write it down. Better, yeah, than better, lemonade stand. better than a lemonade stand. Alex something. I forget now. Um, I still have it in a box. Um, but one of those ideas was dog walking. And I mean, this is probably 1993. Like there's no internet. There's like, there's no phone. You're putting little flyers all over the neighborhood. Yes. In our church. And I, I walk dogs. So I'd like get up early, go get these people's dogs. That's fantastic. And what, what were you into in high school? Sports. 
What sports did, were you playing? Volleyball. I excelled at volleyball. Oh, nice. Awesome. And so were you, so you said you were driven by money and what made you feel successful? Was it, um, and you're an extrovert. So were you kind of the leader of the pack of your friends or were you more like, when you think of money, is it from a perspective of like, this will provide freedom or this will provide like, I can go buy those shoes I want. I think, um, the freedom to do what I want when I want. Yeah. Really, It sounds like you were always an entrepreneur. Like Many people I've had on the podcast have done something like you're talking about, like a paper route or like walking dogs, like just industrious, being creative and figuring it out and wanting that independence. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so then um, you ended up like moving on and leaving Mm -hmm. and tell me, tell me about um, school, about college. Hmm. I attended the University of North Texas in Denton. Um, awesome school, um, really great liberal, liberal arts, um, public school. What was really cool about that was that Denton is this cool um, liberal pocket in an otherwise, um, some would say, um, conservative state. Um, and it's a, a jazz performance school. So oh. the local arts, local music scene was so vibrant um, now, definitely, but certainly then in 1998 to 04, I was on the six-year plan. Um, and all, you know, all of our friends were in bands and um, all of my friends and I worked in restaurants, which is kind of this natural culmination of um, people that work and play together. It was Denton was amazing. I loved college. I was a terrible student. Um, I loved working. Um, and you were working as a bartender, making the cash. Yes. And then um, um, I, I caught the travel bug immediately in college. And um, every summer, save, 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 and then go to Europe. And that was... Um, Going to Europe absolutely changed my life when I turned 19. I love Europe. And when are you going to go now that the pandemic and, you know, the vaccinations and are you going to head there? We're just waiting for Germany to let us in. Yeah, that's awesome. And when did you meet Adam, your like business partner and husband? So I failed my last class of college, which was a summer Spanish class. I'd finished all my, I was a business major, finished everything, and it was an elective that I needed, and I stayed in Europe too long, (laughs) (laughs) and I I was there traveling, and I thought, I'm going to extend it by two weeks, surely when I get back for summer school, I'll be able to make it up, and that teacher was like, no. Not happening. And I went to my mom and dad, and, and I was like, I am not ready to enter the workforce. I, I don't want a corporate job. Um, I was preparing myself for a corporate job in marketing. I wanted to work at Gatorade or Frito-Lay. There were a lot, you know, Toyota. There were lots of big, cool consumer consumer goods. Yeah. Yes. Lots of cool companies in Dallas. And I didn't want to do it. I wanted to be in Europe. Yeah. And my mom and dad, God bless them, said, okay. Um, And I was at, at a friend's house drinking after work one night, one of our band friends and a friend of theirs was visiting from Germany and mm. an American. Um, she worked at this resort south of Munich. It was owned by the Department of Defense. She, I don't know, she did housekeeping or something. 
And she said, there's this cool resort. Parallel to that, I was also dating a German soccer player. You like the Germans. <laughs> I love the Germans. So he was a professional soccer player who was on trade to the professional team in Dallas. I met ah. at the restaurant. He was from Munich. This friend lived south of Munich. I thought, wait a minute. Here's my ticket. And I applied for the job got the job, moved to Europe, we broke up, we're still friends, our little boys are still friends. Um, and I met Adam, who was also working at the resort. And he, so he went after college and stayed for 13 years. Oh, geez. Yeah. I but mean, he's, he's in, where is he from? He uh, was born in Oklahoma, went to the University of Florida. He's a Gator. Um, and um, went to Germany for the same reasons, just to go travel and live and yeah, stayed for 13 years. It's so, so walk me through the conversation when you're thinking about starting Rachel's Ginger Beer. Because you started it, what year was it that you started it? 2011. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you had it 10 years. Yeah. So you were a young entrepreneur, yeah. right? And... Was it just like, hey, let's just, how did you fund it? Like, how did you even do that? Uh, we did not fund it. <laughs> Who funded it? Nobody funded it. Like, how did you even get this thing going? I need to know all. Yes, I will tell you everything. Um, we had no money. Um, we kept our, our jobs. Adam was bartending down by the stadiums when he eventually moved here from Europe. I was waiting tables. I worked at Lark. Um, God bless them. They they started this company. Um, they let me use their kitchen in the off hours. John Sundstrom and JM and Kelly were, have been un, immeasurably generous to us. Um, so um, I worked at Lark. I worked at Oddfellows. Odd I worked at Delancey. All great restaurants. Wow. Oh my gosh. And all of my favorite people, John and JM and Linda is one of my biggest mentors and Brandon Pettit at Delancey. Um, so we waited tables and bartended at night and then we made ginger beer in the middle of the night after our shifts. And tell me how you, like, I wouldn't even know if I was suddenly like, you know what, I'm really wanting some ginger beer. Like I'm guessing sugar. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for, what goes in there? It's a four ingredient recipe. It's, um, and I think that adjectives are what's most important it's fresh lemons fresh ginger um whole whole cane sugar and um, seattle water which we know is the best water in the world um, but most importantly it's the fresh lemons and the fresh ginger that's what sets it apart and so you you're making it and when do you know that it's like okay this is good and then how do you even know about packaging it or distributing it like all of it slow and steady wins the race it just slowly and steadily i we had no money so we had no, there was no seed money there wasn't like 20 grand there wasn't five grand there was nothing um my my really big ambition was to get into the seattle farmers markets and those of us that live in seattle and maybe people that live other elsewhere in the U.S. understand that Seattle has remarkable farmer's markets. 
And they're such a cool business model because the point of entry is really cheap. Um, you, you don't pay for rent 30 days a month. You pay for rent one day a week. And what you get is um, a limited time offer. You get a lot of people that show up for four hours and they, if, if you're gonna create a cool product, that is where you on-ramp it, is at the farmer's market. They're a really good test environment. People, people at farmer's markets know what they want and they have time for what they want. They do not have time for what they don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really great way to make money really quickly. Um, yeah, so how, how long between the time that you're working in the middle of the night, putting together this concoction of fresh everything mm-hmm. to the time that you go into the farmer's market and did you do it weekly and who worked there? Was it you and and Adam? It was me. Um, It was me. (laughs) It's a lot of physical labor. My husband was doing farmer's markets for a while with a product and really, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a really difficult way to make a living. Yeah. Especially because you, you can't necessarily measure it because you're like, okay, my time and all the effort and then whatever whatever you're making, the end of it is like, was this worth it? But it's testing the market, like you said. Yeah, it's such a quick on-ramp um, and such amazing exposure. Um, I think maybe from the time we started testing, let's call it six months. I don't know if that's accurate because yeah. the last 10 years has been a total blur, but. Right. And was there a moment from there where you're like, okay, I have something here? Like, what was that pivotal moment when you're when you felt the momentum? Like, mm-hmm. I've got now the wind behind me. It was probably the second week of the farmers market, and we were selling little twelve ounce bottles that we individually filled, we individually labeled, we individually wrote the date, the the born on date, in a pen, in a little tiny sharpie pen. Um, in the second week of the farmer's market, people came back and they were like, okay, this is amazing. What else? And we thought, holy smokes, like, look around. Like, there's the cherry guy and the raspberry guy and the nectarine guy. And I thought, what would it take to get people to consume more of something similar, more flavors of something similar? And that was so cool because at the end of the market, and it's remarkable the camaraderie that's built in the farmer's markets. Um, really, I mean, lifelong relationships we've we've formed, but you know, the nectarine guy at the end of the farmer's market, it's like, hey, we have 50 pounds that are left over. We'll sell, sell them to you for pennies on the dollar. We'll sell you these raspberries for pennies on the dollar. So we would take them and spin them into ginger beer and sell them the next week. Oh, that's amazing. What was the very first flavor that you had that, your first concoction? I think that it was nectarine and, oh, and we pulled it the second we introduced it um, because it tasted just slightly fermented. Like the nectarines had just turned a teeny tiny bit and I took a sip and I was like, nope, we're dumping it out. We're dumping all of it out. And, you know, we had no money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just dumping things down the drain. And I, I guess. But just- you knew you had the customer demand and you knew that you were starting to get a following, like people coming to seek you out. Correct. And that attention to just the thought that somebody would taste something that wasn't perfect is Still to this day, what keeps me, it's my 3 a.m. fright. Yeah. And so how many flavors do you have now? Oh, boy. Maybe around 13, I think. Wow. And what's the best-selling one? Pink guava. Pink guava. 
I love guava juice. I need to try that one. Oh, it's so good. And you have not lived until you have a pink guava Moscow mule. Love it. Love it. How did you come up with the name? How did you decide it was going to be Rachel's, not Adam's? Well, it was my idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, I still regret a little bit. Um, I regret the name. I'm you do? I think it's super catchy. It makes me, I love, love, love the name. Thank love you. the name. Yeah. Why? I mean, why? Why do you regret it? It feels too forward facing. It feels a little bit narcissistic. And, and it was really just necessity. You know, we, we were making this ginger beer and working in restaurants and our friends that worked in this, that, the other bar were like, this is delicious. Sell it to us, sell it to us, sell it to us. We were like, holy smokes, we got to make this thing legit. Cause this, I mean, it was all yeah not permitted. So we had to file articles of incorporation with the state of Washington. They're like, okay, what's the name? And we were like, well, it's Rachel's ginger beer. Yeah. And, and that's probably what all your friends were calling it. Right. They're like, have you tried Rachel's ginger beer? Like, yeah, of course. And I still like, sometimes I, you know, walking down the street, I'll see somebody in a t-shirt or like with a cup of ginger beer and I'm just like, oh. No, I think it's great. And so then how did you come up with the packaging and the logo and the, all the marketing and branding? I think it's really well done. Thank you for saying that. It's really kind. Um, it's all as with anyone, very intentional. Um, we've worked with the same crew since day one. Um, Camp Doug is the name of the firm we work with. And, um, you know, these are homies of ours. That, um, I guess a side note is that while RGV was being formed, my best friend Kate and I opened a bar on Capitol Hill called Montana. And it's this, um, dive bar on East Olive Way. And we, we were the first people in town to do cocktails on tap. And in 2010, whenever we opened, 10 years ago, um, we, were, we were the first. And so we had Moscow Mules on tap with Rachel's Ginger Beer and it was an instant success. And it was funded by angel investors, by all of our regulars at the restaurants we worked at. They all like loaned us, you know, we cobbled together 70 grand and then Adam, Kate and I bartended together and we poured Moscow mules for everyone. And one of our earliest regulars was um, Camp Doug. And they were like, let it, you know, they were just coming out of art school and let us do your brand. We we're like, we can't afford you. We can't afford you. And eventually we all worked together and we still work together. It's that's a great story. And how many people do you have in the company that work for you? Um, if you'd asked me this before last February, it would be a hundred. And now, um, oh, oh, we must be hovering around 50. And obviously we're all rebuilding after COVID and expecting yeah. to return to normal. Yeah. Tell me about COVID. How did it impact the business? Like specifically, I've got several friends in the industry and the stories are so intense. Like I, your industry got hit so hard. Yeah. Yeah, really devastating. Uh, you know, maybe three or four weeks before COVID hit, we opened um, a really beautiful store directly across from the Spears down at um, Amazon headquarters here in Seattle. And the day that Amazon sent all of their employees home was I mean, it was just dystopian down there. Yeah. National news showed up. I cried on national television thinking this is going to be the worst two weeks ever. <laughs> thinking it's going to be two weeks. 
two weeks. Oh, my employees, what are we going to do? And little did we know. Um, yeah. It's been an extremely challenging year. Um, you know, we've been helped a lot by the federal government. Um, we are really, really, really frugal in a very boring way. Um, <laughs> and we've made it. And yeah, good for you. So you had the 100 people, now you're at 50. What types of people did you have to, unfortunately, furlough or lay off? Hourly employees, um, people that helped us make the ginger beer, and then the people that work with us in the stores um, serving the ginger beer because Amazon closed, Pike Place Market closed, everything closed for quite yeah. some time. Yeah. For people who don't know ginger beer i mean rachel's ginger beer like where can they find it and where are the stores sure so we ship nationwide all over all over the u.s rachelsgingerbeer.com um and then we have four shops here in seattle our flagship store is right in the heart of pike place market um we have a store up on capitol hill um one in university village and then right across from the amazon spheres like, what, are you, what is your role versus Adam's role? Mm. Adam oversees all of production and distribution. Mm -hmm. And I oversee all of retail and um, community relations. Mm -hmm. It's probably the biggest part of my role. And what are you thinking about right now as far as distribution? Like, is there an area that you're like, hey, maybe we should pivot in this way or think about different um, channels? I think that um, the Whole Foods Market has been a really great partner with us. Um, and um, I think if we're going to think very macro, it should be um, Whole Foods all over the U.S. That would be a really wise way to go. And is Whole Foods down with that idea? Yeah, they, they're, they're, a great, they're a great partner. Yeah. How did you get in there? Do you remember that like experience in that moment of finding out that they're they ready to us. carry it? Oh, they called you proactively. They did. That's so I, cool. I, I'm kind of, <clears throat> so th there's a lot of upsides and downsides to taking money and not taking money. Um, a great upside to taking money is you can grow rapidly and um, get wide distribution quickly and probably make an exit if you want. Um, an upside to not taking money is you grow slow and steady and you call all the shots and um for whatever reason that's been the decision we've continued to make so i thought when the time is right and the price is right then we'll partner with the right people um kind of on our terms yeah is there any place that you would love distribution that you've been trying to get into or that's not the, the model where you're proactively reaching out it's not our highest priority right now yeah and when would, I mean, do you feel, I hope you feel, but I'm curious, do you feel successful? Yes. You do. And is there a, like, if I were to hit it, like, this is where it would be? Like some, you know, certain entrepreneurs is like, that's just yeah. never ending that level of like where you're trying to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, there's so many answers to that. Right. Could the, the answer could be around like, visibility like it's a household name everybody knows Rachel's ginger beer like that to me if I was if I was you that would be amazing to just like you said walking down the street and seeing people wear t-shirts so cool to be like I remember still to this day if someone's like oh I've heard of fuel talent and I shouldn't I mean it's 
I'm like, really? <laughs> it's so dumb because I would hope that they would have heard of Fuel Talent and especially in Seattle, but it's cool when it's your thing and you're like, really? Or people say they listen to the podcast, you know? It feels so good, doesn't it? It does, it does feel good. It feels like your hard work is paying off and that people appreciate it. Yeah. So the success for you would be... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I I feel like I'm there yeah good that makes me happy to hear that makes me super happy to hear and are you more do you make decisions based more on data and analytics or based more on your gut gut I knew you were gonna say that I'm like this is a gut person for sure mm -hmm. and tell me about you as a leader like what would the hundred people um that have worked for you over time I guess it's been more Mm -hmm. say about you how would they describe your leadership i don't micromanage um i'm not politically aligned with mark cuban um who is on shark tank and is the owner of the dallas mavericks i'm a huge sports fan especially women's sports um but i read him him saying one time um hire the best people in the world and then get out of their way um and that was really, really good advice for me to hear because when we first started, I, I by nature am a micromanager. Um, I just want everything perfect all the time. Get out of my way. You're not going to do it right. And it's not sustainable. Um, I have little kids. I have a family. I have a lot of friends that I want to invest in and uh, invest my time in. And um, micromanaging everything was destroying me. Um, and, you know, we, we hired, um, the most remarkable operations manager. Her name is Doe Driver and she runs this ship. Um, so when Huck, um, I have two little boys, Huck and Wyatt. Wyatt's oh, what cute names. Uh, thank you. Huck is almost four. And when Huck was born, Becca, when Wyatt was born, um, um, Kate and I were opening a bar that was delayed um, and it opened about two weeks after Huck was, after Wyatt was born. And I spent every second there with a brand new baby. I mean, I remember our opening party, like bending over the dishwasher to load it and like smelling my breast milk. Oh, geez. Crying because I wasn't with my child. I couldn't, I couldn't take the time off to be with my kid. So when Huck was born, I promised myself, I'm going to take one year with no childcare. Of course, it doesn't mean no, one year, no work. Because the emails come and all, everything's still there, but I had him with me all the time. And during that time, Doe came up and just took my job away from me, which was remarkable because she's so capable, but difficult coming back a year later. I came back and I was like, okay, guys. Yeah, you're, you're, and you're like, I'm here. And you're like, I'm oh, wait. Here, what do you guys need? Yeah. And did you have a little bit of the like imposter syndrome of like, well, wait, where do I fit into this whole thing? Yeah, and I still have it. You know, I, I called Tom Douglas um, like a, a couple weeks after I came back. I was like, I'm having an existential moment. Will you meet with me? And he was like, yeah, come on down. And I was like, Tom, what do I do? And, and he said something that I will never, ever forget my entire life. Because I was like, do I expand? What, do, do we go nationwide? Ah. And he said, why have grand when you can have beautiful? And like... Oh, that still really, really stops me. Do I need everything when I can have something just 
beautiful and local and all these amazing people in this community. Um, yeah. It was. Did you ever, and did you ever try to go for like all of the different like awards and different things that, No. you know, all of those. So I've done a little bit of that and we've gotten some great recognition, which is awesome. But one of the things I went for, um, really wanted to hear me say like, we're going to go nationwide and we're going to hundred million and we're just, and I was really authentic talking about like, for me, the measure of success is like the depth of my relationships mm -hmm. and the meaningfulness of the placements that we make in companies that they like stay and they get promoted and that we change people's lives. And it's so funny because afterwards I was realizing like, Oh, maybe I should have said, and I'm like, no, we have to be authentic to who we are. You know, and if it's like, hey, I do want beauty and I do want like to feel authentically like myself, not just grand and revenues, um, I think it's great advice. And most people don't, they're thinking they're measuring themselves by grand. I, so or, or thinking like re revenues versus even profitability, right? 1000%. Yeah. You giant revenues and you gave away 75% of the pie because you needed to raise your, raise your seed money. Mm -hmm. I mean, wh what do you have at the end of the day? You have no control because you gave away your control and you only have a small piece of the pie. When I was thinking about coming and talking with you and really looking forward to it, I was thinking about something that's really been bugging me about entrepreneurship culture in the last 10 years that I've come up. And, and I think I talk with a lot of um, a lot of friends and um, people that friends introduced me to who are coming up with it, primarily consumer packaged goods brands. And this kind of pervasive narrative is seed money. Um, we're going to hire a co-packer. We're going to get in every Whole Foods in the U.S. And then we're going to make an exit by this. And I want to exit at... 5x and this is what I want and I don't think that people understand how long it takes to make something that's perfect and beautiful and understood and successful and I think that if you are in this to make an exit and I'm no expert but I think that you'll you won't succeed. Well, you also want to enjoy the journey. It sounds so different to hear you speak about it like that because one is like there's this destination and the other is like I'm on this journey and your story has been much more of a journey story than I've got this North Star of where I'm trying to go and it's probably made you a lot happier as an entrepreneur, as a mother, as a wife, as a friend. Like you're yeah. stopping to smell the roses. You feel gratitude. Even the fact that you're saying like I feel successful is like if you had that North Star, you'd be like, well, wait, I'm not at 50 million. And I had said 50 million, you know, whatever. And if 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 your goal is the exit and you fall short of that, I, I feel like the, the chances that you're going to give up and peace out are higher. Totally. You know, totally. Some, some of the most gratifying experiences for me are the farmer's market regulars that I met at the Queen Anne farmer's market 10 years ago. And like, there's this woman who showed up and she was bald and she said, I'm in the middle of chemo. My stomach's upset. I had your stuff. It calms my stomach. And I keep seeing her year after year by you, Bill. And like moms I met that were pregnant and 
now I give, you know, their nine-year-olds a hug. Oh, that's so sweet. That like, I don't know. I don't know if you can measure that. I don't know if you can quantify that. Yeah. Well, it's about impact and it's about people thinking about you when you're not even aware they're thinking about you and the, and the, um, the effect that you've had on them and your product is like resonating. It's amazing. So how have you gone about building your culture, finding talent? Obviously, you know, as a recruiter, I got to ask these parts too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the hiring cult- culture right now in, you know, May of 2021 is really different than it was 10 years ago. There's, there's no one to hire right now. It's really, really difficult out there, but I think our, our values, our values are really important to us. The LGBTQIA community was who propped us up at the Capitol Hill farmers market when we first started and like, they are our people and, um, and so we've always, and they're, you know, just, it's just so fun to work with so many people that are in, in art and theater and doing all kinds of artistic, fun, cool, creative things. Um, um, but I really believe that people can talk till they're blue in the face about culture, but to me, it comes from the top. It comes from the way that Adam and I interact with each other and the way that we interact with our second in command, Doe, and with all of our other coworkers. Um, it's the way, like, for instance, the way you walk into a restaurant, one of, one of our restaurants, um, having worked for so many other people for all my life, um, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than the, than the owner that is never there, but they walk in on a Friday night and it's busy and it's humming and the lights are perfect and the music's perfect and the guests are happy and everyone's smiling and they like look down on the ground and they see a beverage napkin on the ground they're like yeah why is there a beverage napkin on the ground yeah you're like seriously you pick up the beverage napkin yeah i just remember thinking that so many times as a server or as a bartender and like when i am an owner i will never be the person that my crew is scared to see so like, I want to be the person that shows up and I'm there for the high fives. I'm there to get a cup of ginger beer and tip you 10 bucks or whatever. I love that so much, Rachel. I mean, it's almost the same as people I've had on the podcast and just friends who have raised money who talk about investors and are like, I don't want to panic when the phone rings and it's my investor. Yeah. I want somebody who's got me through the good, through the bad. And the employees feel the same way. They don't want to feel like they're getting called to the principal's office Yes. You know, that Sunday night feeling when they see you. Like it's a terrible stomach feeling. And especially right now, and especially this generation of, of new college grad level people, they, they want purpose, they want impact, and they want to feel good at work. And they definitely look for it in a different way than just like, oh, here's my paycheck. Um, and I don't think they would tolerate it. So I think it's amazing that you're creating such a culture and that you get it. You totally get it. So you're doing this, you're doing it with your husband. You've got the two boys, Huck and Wyatt, cutest names ever. How do you balance it all? Like, what do you like to do when you're not at work? I have a bicycle that I ride a lot. Like indoor Peloton-y type of deal or outdoor? No, I have one of those rad bikes from Ballard. Ooh, nice. They're rad. They're they're a client of I love rad power bikes. (laughs) They're rad. They are Um, rad. 
yeah, so I live by the lake and um, I, I ride this 10 mile loop every day. Um, and I never take my phone, which is probably unwise, but I have nowhere to stick it. So maybe well, I- get a little pouch. So you're riding your bike around the lake. And then how about just like your dream weekend? Um, let's say without kids. <laughs> like, I love my kids, but you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Um, my dream weekend, I'd be in Europe. You'd be in Europe. Yeah, I'd probably um, hike to a hut and um, drink a beer or a Weisswein Chorley and eat nice. some white asparagus. And do you have do you have like rituals or habits that we can learn from of like ways that you set yourself up for success? I like the riding your bike, by the way, without a phone. I actually felt like light when you said that. I was like, oh, that sounds good. Um, rituals. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I surround myself with incredible women. I have just. I want. I want in. I think you're awesome. Come on in. To, like hang. I, I love it. Force field. Of I've women. got a force field. Also, we got to merge. Golly, it's just just remarkable the way that everyone has hedged each other nice. in the last year um and um not drinking too much that's big exercising um i don't know listening to npr i wish i had something more remarkable. npr sounds like that does not I'm like that's a ritual that's good but sometimes it can be so depressing oh my god i know those are all good ones exercising kind of like watching your you know, alcohol intake, it's all good stuff. I see my parents a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm really close to my mom and dad. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to get together a group of women. I'm literally going to work on it when we get off. Um, and I know how busy you are, so I'm super grateful that you were on the podcast. I have one final question, and that is what fuels you? What's your ultimate fuel? Uh, that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights. And that is said by the mother of them all. And her name is Hillary Clinton. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com. To provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.